pray. Uh, Lord, thanks so much for the chance to gather. Thanks for the scriptures. Thank you most of all for your spirit who illuminates the scriptures to us. Without him, we would never understand. And so we pray for his mighty work now. And I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, Yesterday I had the uh, privilege of marrying Angus and Deb Boyd um, at St. Clement's in Mossman. It was a great wedding. It was a great reception. At the reception I sat next to a, a lovely lady. Uh, who um, she actually used to flat with Carly Minogue, but that's beside the point. Um, she claimed to be uh, really uh, spiritual. She was a rock singer who had given up uh, her rock singing to focus on, on spiritual music. As I chatted her for a while, I asked her the question, what do you think it means to be spiritual? What do you think it means to be spiritual? I wonder what you would answer that question. I'm not going to tell you what she told me. What, what would you say to that question? What does it mean to be a spiritual person? I see, lots of people in our world claim to be spiritual. Our world is full of people who, who love spirituality. What about a guy like this, uh, the Dalai Lama? He's supposed to be the spiritual guide for what Tibet, Mongolia, China, the whole world, all these writings. Is he spiritual? What is the mark of a spiritual person? What about up in um, Crow's Nest, North Sydney, are the Hare Krishnas? Uh, with all their meditations uh, and their chanting and their singing, uh, their claim for a higher consciousness, uh, a pure love for God, are they spiritual? How do we know? But what about in churches? Here's the, the Reverend uh, Professor Marilyn McCord Adams. She is the the Regis Professor of Divinity at the at Oxford University. A theologian, a writer, a philosopher, she's a priest. Is she spiritual? She claims to be spiritual. If you read her writings, she calls herself a spiritual person. She, she calls herself a, a Christian universalist, saying that, that all people will be saved no matter what they believe. Is she spiritual? If you're insomniac, like me, 4.30 in the morning, Channel 10, you can listen to this guy, uh, Benny Hinn, that great faith healer, the great uh, crusader. Is he spiritual? H- how do you know? W- what is the mark of a spiritual person? Look at the person next to you. Just turn around and look at them. Uh, are, are they spiritual? I mean, how do you know what a spiritual person looks like? Uh, our world is full of people who claim to be spiritual. Uh, I met a guy called Neil. He's a Christian guy in my last church. He claimed that God had told him that he would fight his cancer and survive. And I said to him, how did God tell you? And he quoted a verse for me. He quoted 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14. He said, the man without the spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the spirit of God. uh, For their foolishness to him. He said, Paul, I've got the spirit, you haven't. He said, I know it because God's told me, but you can't understand that because you haven't got the spirit. Was he spiritual? Am I spiritual? What are the marks of a spiritual person? It's vital that you and I grasp this question. You see, what's at stake here? What is at stake here? A long understanding of spirituality can lead to to that universalism. You know, forget about Jesus, doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're spiritual. A long understanding of spirituality can lead to that, that kind of elitism. You know, I am more spiritual than you. I've had this special word from God. And therefore, a wrong understanding of spirituality leads to this kind of inferiority complex. 
maybe I'm not as spiritual as you maybe I haven't got the spirit at all that is a problem with the Corinthian church the Corinthians uh, thought they were spiritual they claimed to be super spiritual Uh, they'd moved on from the teaching of the Apostle Paul they had their new leaders and they were living in in this great city called Corinth with impressive speakers and philosophers and religious people and you'd open the Corinthian times and there'd be letters to the editor about how rubbish Jesus is and we've moved on from that and it's easy to believe them Easy to be swayed that that simple truth about Jesus and his cross is, is, is not enough to be really spiritual. And that's why Paul writes these chapters. Uh, to teach you and I what it really means to be spiritual. Uh, to, to almost uh, rebuke the proud Christian who thinks they're super spiritual. To bring down the spiritually elite. Uh, but to assure and to build up and to encourage those people who may be pretty insecure or discouraged. So what are the marks of the spiritual person? Here, according to a newspaper article, are seven habits of a spiritual person. They're on the screen now. A spiritual person, a highly spiritual person, gives rather than takes. They say yes more than they say no. They see possibilities, not problems. They walk a mile in your shoes. They count blessings in small wonders. They give compliments generously and they accept them with humility. Is that what it means to be spiritual? Tonight I'm going to look at seven marks of the spiritual person according to the Apostle Paul. The first mark is this. The spiritual person has the Holy Spirit and so they can know God. They have the Holy Spirit and so they can know God. Verse 12 is really the key to the whole section. Look at it with me. Verse 12. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us Uh, The we and the us in this whole passage is the Christian, all believers. He says, simply, uh, the spiritual person is the one who's received the Holy Spirit. If you haven't got the Spirit, you can't be spiritual. If you have got the Holy Spirit, you are spiritual. And if you've got the Holy Spirit, verse 12, that means you can understand the mind of God. Let me do a quick experiment. I I want you to tell me what I'm thinking right now. What am I thinking right now? You've no idea, have you? Uh, you can't tell what's going on in my mind. I'm actually thinking of the Hawaiian Iron Man, but that's beside the point. Um, you, you can't tell what I'm thinking in my mind right now unless I actually choose to, to reveal it to you. Uh, no one knows what's going on in your mind, your inner thoughts, your, your secret little places. No one knows your, your ponderings unless you choose to tell them. And isn't that really the mark of, of trust and love in a relationship that, that you want to tell somebody your really inner thoughts, your inner minds? It's the same with God, except on a much bigger scale. Look at verse, second half of verse 10. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man? Who knows your inner thoughts except the man's soul within himself? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. No one knows the thoughts of God. We can't know God's mind by, institu- by intuition or by reason. He's just too big for that. That distance between my mind and God's mind is too massive. We're sinful. We're selfish. Only God can know the things of God. Yet, verse 10, 
the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. It's like the Spirit dives deep, probes and brings up that treasure about God's character or God's mind. Uh, things that would have remained hidden and the Spirit grabs hold of them and brings them up to the surface and reveals them to you and me. And the Spirit can do that. Why? Because he's God. The Spirit can do that because he's part of that intimacy of the Trinity. He is God and so he can reveal God to us. And do you get it? You can only know God, know the mind of God, by the Spirit. If you're ever going to understand God, you need the Spirit. And verse 12, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who's from God. That's the most important and the most essential mark of the spiritual person. They have the Holy Spirit. You see, if you haven't got the Holy Spirit, no matter how good you are, how kind you are, how, how, how generous you are, you're not spiritual. You can't be spiritual. By definition, a spiritual person has the Holy Spirit. Mark number two. The spiritual person understands the wisdom of the cross. The spiritual person understands the wisdom of the cross. Uh, So what is it, the second half of verse 12, that God has freely given us? Or literally, God's gracious gift to us. What is it that we need to understand? It's the answer that that Paul has been drumming home since chapter 1. Look back to chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved is the power of God. Or chapter 2, verse 2. Paul says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Or or chapter 2, verse 6. We speak a a message of wisdom among the mature, among the Christians. Not, a, not the wisdom of the age or the rules of this age who are come to, coming to nothing. We speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. And none of the rulers of this world understood it. If they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. Uh, what is it the Spirit reveals? It's the wisdom of God, the wisdom of Christ crucified, uh, the wisdom of, of the man Jesus on a tree at Calvary. Look what Paul says about it, verse 7. It is God's secret wisdom. A secret isn't like something that you're not allowed to talk about. Secret just means it was hidden, but now it's been brought to light. And he's saying it was hidden. In the Old Testament it was kind of veiled. Sure, it, there was pointers towards the, the Messiah, the new priesthood, the new sacrificial system, but no one really expected the crucified Messiah. But then God brought that to light as Jesus stepped into the world. It was God's secret wisdom, verse 7, and it was for our glory. Do you spot that, verse 7? God destined for our glory before time began. God predestined it. God decided before time began, before that first tick of time, God had decided on a crucified Messiah. Why did he decide that? Look at the verse, verse 7. For our glory. For my glory, for your glory. That should blow your mind. Before time began, God decided to rescue you and to save you through a crucified Messiah. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in his last days for your sake. You see, all other religions, all other spiritualities are about, about man climbing a ladder, grasping, pondering, trying to work out what God is really like. But then Jesus steps into the world and God comes down that ladder to us. And then he walks to a cross as a crucified Messiah. That is God's wisdom. Not some philosophical deeper truth, but the simple, 
but profound mystery of the cross. Maybe you've never understood it. Here it is very simply. Uh, The eternal God who is our maker and our judge in all his graciousness, inexpressible grace, sent his one precious son to die an abominable death of a criminal for you and for me so that we could be reconciled and forgiven. And that plan was carried out by, by sinful men, who, sinful leaders who, who thought that they were controlling events by killing Jesus. But that was God's plan. And when we recognise that and say, he died for me, then you're wise. Now do you see the main difference between, between spiritual and, and, and unspiritual? That dividing line is just a cross. The cross of Christ. And only the person with the Spirit can understand the cross of Christ. I remember preaching up in Tamworth about uh, nine years ago now. And I preached on the cross. And after the sermon, the, the guy, two guys came up to me. One guy, uh, nice guy, he said, thank you for your talk. I found it really interesting, really stimulating, but I don't believe it. Another guy came up to me. This is Tamworth, so blokes in Tamworth don't cry, but you know, had sort of watery eyes. And he just said to me, for the first time in my life tonight, I've understood that Jesus died for me. I know that I'm lost without Christ, I feel broken, I feel selfish, and yet Jesus would die for me. It's that wow factor, isn't it? Now why? Why did one understand and one not understand? It wasn't nothing to do with intellect, nothing to do with goodness. Why? Because of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit had chosen to work in one person and not the other. Now you and I can only understand the cross of Christ if the Spirit works in us. That is a mark of the truly spiritual person. Not just understanding the cross, but keep coming back to the cross. We never tire to be amazed of the cross and God's amazing redemption of the cross. You see, some churches that claim to be really super spiritual, filled with the Spirit. You go there, you never hear about Jesus. You never hear about the cross. Alarm bells should be ringing. Uh, some people claim to be super spiritual, but they think the cross is just too basic, too simple. We've moved on from that. That was the Corinthians. They thought Paul's teaching was too simple, too basic. They've moved to deeper truths. Again, move on from the crucified Saviour and alarm bells should be ringing. Let me ask you, maybe you're here tonight and you think that you're spiritual. Have you really understood and grasped the cross of Christ, that he would die for you so you would be forgiven? If not, no matter how much you read your Bible or talk about God or, or meditate or how kind you are, without the cross, you cannot be spiritual. Third mark of the spiritual person, that you're realistic about worldly wisdom. You're realistic about worldly wisdom. Uh, The truly spiritual person isn't dazzled by philosophy or theologians or scholars with these new ideas about God. Uh, Look how scathing Paul is in verse 6. He says, we don't, we speak a message of wisdom among the Christians, not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. He says, human wisdom, it it, it begins in man, it's a wisdom of this age. It's all man-centred. The profound ideas like, you know, live for yourself or look out for yourself or never trust anybody. It's all man-centred. And verse 6, it's coming to nothing. It will just pass away like a mist. All these ideas and philosophies. Or verse 8, again, it's human wisdom is ignorant of God's plan. And none of the rulers of this world understood it. If they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. 
You know, these so-called wise men like Pontius Pilate and Herod and, and Caiaphas, they were ignorant, they were blind. Uh, they conspired together to do away with this so-called messianic pretender. They thought they were politically astute, but they killed the Son of God. And in God's perfect providence, that was his plan. Uh, they were ignorant. Human worldly wisdom don't understand God's rescue plan. Uh, and human wisdom, according to verse 14, will find the cross foolish. Verse 14, the man without the Spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. He cannot understand them. You thought about, of course the cross is foolish to the unbeliever because the cross turns our whole world worldview upside down. Everything that we're taught from the day that we're born, you know, you can do it, be successful, achieve what you want, you can do whatever you want. It turns it upside down and says you can't do it. You need God's help. You don't deserve it, and you can't do it. When I was at university. I studied maths. Um, I went to lecture maths, and there was a guy who, who lectured uh, theology. Sat next to him at dinner one night. Uh, a great, great thinker. A brilliant academic. Lectured in New Testament, lectured in philosophy, in Kant and in Descartes. And I sat next to him. I, called my, I said I was a Christian. And he laughed at me. He said, I was naive and I was stupid. Uh, what would Paul say to, to him? To take verse 14, he said, I, I should have said, no, no, you're the foolish one. You are the foolish one because you can't understand the cross. You know, that's quickly the way that you discern whether someone is spiritual, their attitude to the cross. They, they cannot or they won't accept it. I think this, this passage is a great description of the people of our age. We, we pursue more and more wisdom, we study more and more, and yet we, we mock Christ and we laugh at Christ. And Paul says to the Corinthians, don't be dazzled. Don't be dazzled by all the rhetoric and ideas and rubbish this world will spout at you. Paul goes really hard on the Corinthians because they're in danger of being led astray by worldly wisdom. He says, you've got the spirit, you're part of, this, of the new age, you are spiritual, so stop acting as though you're not spiritual. Stop listening to the world. Stop listening to the rubbish that they print in papers. You've got the scriptures. You've got the cross. Don't be dazzled by the human worldly wisdom. And maybe that's you. Uh, impressed by a lecturer at university who, who laughs at you because you're a Christian and his ideas seem, seem so rigorous. Or, or you read the, the Sydney Morning Herald and you're impressed by, by these articles about New Age or about different spiritualities, but there's no cross there. It's easy to be swayed by human wisdom. Don't be. That's the mark of a spiritual person. Mark number four. Uh, the spiritual person speaks spiritual truths. That's verse 13. And this is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. Expressing spiritual truth in spiritual words. Have you ever thought about the Apostle Paul? Uh, he went from persecuting Christians to preaching Christ. And apparently he wasn't the most eloquent speaker. He probably didn't, wasn't very witty, he didn't use great illustrations, but he just spoke spiritual truth in spiritual words. Words that the Corinthians could understand. It reminds me of a friend of mine called Alex. I was at Bible college with him. He used to be a milkman in the UK, but he'd become a Christian. He wasn't the most uh, academic person in the world, but actually, you know, when he talked about the Bible, suddenly he had this vocab and this language, and he was able to express things in a really simple but profound way. That's the work of the Spirit. If you've got the Spirit, 
We should be able to talk about Christ, talk about God in easy, simple language, deep truths in spiritual ways. See what Paul's teaching about the Spirit? The Spirit reveals God's mind, the Spirit enables us to see the cross, the Spirit enables Paul to preach. Uh, the fifth mark is this the spiritual person is humble and grateful. The spiritual person is full of humility and gratitude. If you've grasped the cross, if you understood that your relationship with God has nothing to do with you, and that your brilliance or your mind or your insight is undeserved, if you grasp that the private work of the Spirit in your heart and your mind illuminated the cross to you, then actually you'll be a person marked by humility. You know, nothing to do with me, everything to do with God. And I think that's the irony about this passage. This passage should lead to humility and yet it's ripped out of context and used to justify astonishing arrogance. You know, people like Neil who take verse 14 and claim to have a word from God, some deep spiritual truth that only he can understand and he patronises me because I can't understand it. Use this passage to make people feel really inferior with lots of talk of of second blessings of the Spirit or create the inner circle or the, the spiritually elite and or the arrogant, I've got the mind of Christ, I've got the spirit, you haven't. That's not what this passage is teaching. It's saying, if you've grasped this, then you should be on your knees, humbly, with gratitude. If you've grasped it's about a crucified Messiah that, that you could never understand without the spirit, then humble yourself and just say thank you. And that's a mark of humility, isn't it? Why, we, why should we be so humble? Look again at verse, at verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him? It's a quote from Isaiah 40. Who's able to comprehend the mind of God? The answer? No one can. In our finiteness and our fallenness, there's no one who can successfully plumb the depths of God's thoughts. And yet, verse 16, but, a great big but, but we have the mind of Christ. If we have the spirit, we have the mind of Christ. We can understand something of God's wisdom. And therefore the answer is, wow, thank you. If you're feeling proud or arrogant, just come back to the cross. It will strip you of all your pride. It should humble you. If you've got the Spirit, just be a grateful, humble believer. And flowing out of that, Mark number 6, the spiritual person prays for the unbeliever. The spiritual person will pray for the unbeliever. You see, evangelism is God's work. You can't convert people. I can't convert people. Only God can do that. You know, my brother, my sister, uh, your siblings, your husband, your wife, your work colleague, uh, to see the crucified Messiah and to understand it, they need the work of the Spirit. Look again at verse 14. The man without the Spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. Uh, They're foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. And they hear the words, they hear about Jesus, they, they know the stories, they might even write a book on the atonement, but they can't believe it. Why? Uh, look again at verse 9. It's written, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. He's saying, like, by ourselves, uh, our eyes can't see it. We're like, you know, we're like blind people trying to describe the difference between lilac and lavender. Or we're like deaf people, no ear has heard it. We're like deaf people trying to comment on handle. We just can't do it. But with the Spirit, verse 10, God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. And what is going to convert somebody? 
only the Spirit. When I was a very young Christian, a friend of mine was called Simon. He was studying theology at university. And he used to just, you know, just torment me because he was studying theology but he just didn't believe it. And I spent about a year just trying to persuade him that, that Christ really was the Son of God. You know, different techniques. I, I invited him to church, I invited him to a dinner party, I invited him to, to a course. He just would not believe it. The one thing I didn't do was pray. Pray for him. You know, we've got a course starting tomorrow night called Exploring Christianity. A great five week course here at church explaining who Jesus is. And we can get the right teaching, a nice atmosphere, some great food. But unless the Spirit is at work, opening people's eyes, unblocking people's ears, then people will not be converted. Are you praying for tomorrow night? Are you praying for your friends to come? We need to pray. That's a mark of a spiritual person. They recognise it's the, the work of the Spirit to understand the mind of God. Please pray. Lastly, mark number seven. The spiritual person is assured and confident. Assured and confident. It's not arrogance. We're not infallible, but we are confident. Look at verse 15. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things. But he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. It says there in verse 15, we make judgments on all things. It doesn't mean we know everything, but it means that we, I mean, we can talk about uh, the beauty of holiness in a different way to the Dalai Lama. Uh, as Christians with the Spirit, we can talk about reconciliation and what it really means to say sorry in a different way. Uh, we're not gullible, we're not naive, we're, we're, not, in, we're not completely fallible, but you know, we can talk about things because we've got the mind of Christ. Again, don't rip out the context. Uh, I'm not saying we can't learn anything from the unbeliever. We're not always right. People will correct us. But, look at verse 15 again. He himself is not subject to any man's judgment. You know, when the unbeliever mocks and laughs and scoffs and marginalizes the church, when we're told how stupid we are for believing in Christ, when our, our worldview is so narrow-minded and so bigoted and so fundamentalist, when we tempted just to, to broaden it a bit and compromise the cross, this verse says, no, 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 we're not subject to man's judgment Whose judgment are we subject to? Only God. Only God. And he's told us the truth as we've heard in scripture. When I left academia to go into ministry, one of my colleagues said to me, Paul, you're making the biggest mistake. There'll be no job for you back here in Oxford in five years' time. It's okay. It's okay. Why? Because, you know, I'm, I'm not subject to his judgment about whether I'm making a good or bad decision. The mark of the spiritual person is that we are secure and confident in our salvation because of the cross. Don't be tossed around by human opinions or human judgments or what do people say. There you have it. I mean, how do you spot a spiritual person? Is a Dalai Lama spiritual? Harry Krishna's? I don't know. I'm not going to make a judgment on them. But the mark is this: Do they have the spirit? Do they believe the cross of Christ? Do they say Jesus Christ is the only way to God? Do they cling on to that cross? Have the lights gone on for them? Is the Spirit at work in them? And what about you? Let me ask you. Have the lights gone on for you? If you look at the cross, 
do you weep and say, the, the Lord of glory was crucified for me. The Spirit has illuminated me so I can see that. Thank you. And if that is you, then please be humble. And please be prayerful. Please be prayerful. And be thankful. Let me pray. We've not received the spirit of the world, but we have received the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. Lord, we praise you for your spirit. We thank you that though he was God, he chose to uh, reveal you to us, that he did plumb the depths and probe deeply and chose to reveal your mind to us, and that blows us away. Thank you for the way that he keeps on doing that through the scriptures. Lord, please make us a truly a spiritual people. Uh, Father, please would you protect us from arrogance or pride, but keep us humble and thankful. And we do pray, Father, for any here tonight um, who are yet to believe in Christ. And we pray for any tomorrow night at this course who are yet to believe. Lord, only you can do that good work, and so we do plead with you to do that. And we ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen.